Thanks for listening to the Barton Han Show podcast. Listen live weekdays at noon on 98.7 ESPN. All right, we roll into hour number three. Barton Han, Alan Han, Bart Scott, 98.7 ESPN. Bart off today, so a full Han solo here with you. But it's still, of course, hour number three. It is still Barton Han. And so with that in mind, with Bart not here, Jacob's going to pick up the slack. So when I say, what's that all mean, Jacob? What do you say? I say, it's the sour hour. Because, you know, it's Detroit. The Detroit Pistons lost yesterday. So, you know, I got a feeling for Bart. I'm pretty sure he'll be he would feel super like it's sour. Oh, yeah. You know how he'd be so sour today? Like, he, he would be on his Nick hate. Like at a, it'd be like at 100. You're saying right? it's the sour hour? Yeah. <laughs> for you, maybe. For you. He'd uh, be eating his feelings. He'd have two lunches <laughs> during the show. <laughs> Usually eating something during the show. But today, today he's not. Um, so nobody wants to do it, huh? No, I'll got we, you. We, we need the gang. We, uh, we, 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 I got we, you. Don't worry. All right. Let's try again. The gong is ready. Jake is ready. It's hour number three. It's Barton Hunt. What's that mean? It's the power hour. Hour, 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 sour hour. <laughs> well done. All right, yeah, so we are getting ready for the power hour. We are getting you ready, of course, for the K Show, which comes up at 3 o'clock. Tim Legg, we're going to join us here momentarily, but I do want to get a couple of calls in here, and we'll keep the calls rolling throughout the rest, of course, this show. Uh, Merv is back from Winfield. Got a little excited. Mm-hmm. Merv, how you doing? <laughs> yeah, hit a dead spot. Good, how are you? All right. Um, last night with that game, I mean, I can see how the call wasn't quite made also because the ball was still a little loose. And like you said, the whole Houston game, that was rough too. It happens. And also the physicality part, way better than seeing them blow a whistle every time. And then it's like a free throw shooting contest. And, you know, who wants to watch that? Yeah, you don't want someone to get their head taken off. Like, you don't want that either. Like, you don't need guys getting, you know, pinballed around. But if, you know, I I hate those touch fouls. It drives me nuts. It's like, you made the layup. Just at least keep playing. Why do you got to blow a whistle on that? Just keep going. (laughs) Yeah, or if there's no harm, no foul, just let it go, too. Just let it go. You know, no matter whether it's a layup or just, you you know, driving the ball. Yeah. Thank you, Merv. I appreciate it. Oh, my bad, Merv. See, now I cut you off. You had one more thing to say. You can always call back. Um, but in the meantime, like I said, see, I'm speaking like a, like a guy that truly wasn't a great shooter. So for me, it's like if I make a bad – we don't need to worry about that. All right, you touched his arm and he made the shot. Okay, just keep going. Keep going. Let's just keep playing the game. We don't need whistles all the damn time. It has always been this way in sports. The pendulum always swings aggressively one way and then aggressively back the other. It's like that in life too, in our society. We overreact to a point where we overcorrect, and then it goes too far the other way. And that's what we've been doing. We do that in society. We do that in our sports. It's like, like you know, again, storming the court. Ban it. Stop it. I immediately stop. Like, can't we just, like, we, we got to do better than just screaming that it all has to stop. Ban it. Cancel it. Like, like let's just be reasonable with some of the things we do instead of just overreacting and freaking out all the time. But that's what happens in our sport. We love offense. Offense is fun. The game got too tough and too thuggish and too this and too that. So let's now start banning things that allow defenses to get away with physicality and let's let the beauty of the game. You know, if I remember right, 
I was not old enough. In fact, I wasn't even around for it. But some of the most beautiful basketball was played in the early 70s, and the game was incredibly physical. So you can do both. It's a matter of just, of course, how it's officiated and what the players are willing to do. And I'm wondering if this year we are starting to see a turn, which is why you're seeing some blown uh, calls, why you're seeing teams and players getting more and more frustrated. So with that in mind, I want to talk to somebody that would play in one of the toughest eras and was a great player during one of the toughest eras and, of course, is great at assessing the game these days as well, and that's Tim Legler, who joins us right now. Legs, you can see him on all the different shows on ESPN, does a great job as one of our NBA analysts, of course, has also a great podcast, the All-NBA Podcast, which you can get that pretty much anywhere on the All-City Network. And, Legs, thanks for giving me a few minutes here, my man. What did you Always think of my pleasure to come on, Alan. How I are appreciate you, man? it. What did you think of the finish last night of that Knicks Pistons game and what did you see? Uh, you know, all right, so seeing it live, I thought there was a foul committed at half court by DiVincenzo. And then I you know, I saw multiple replays. I'm still kind of convinced that it probably was a foul, but I I'm gonna be honest, I did not see the replay I needed to see, which was from the other side of the court. Right. That would have given me a, a more clear view because it was kind of obstructed view because it was right there against the sideline. You couldn't really see um, Thompson like below, like b- below, like his stomach. Like you couldn't see. Like, you saw even Jenner kind of going in, but like I couldn't get a great feel to the extent to which the ball was really, you know, controlled by Thompson, or he had the ability to go get it, and you know, even Chenzo just sort of barrel rolled into him to come up with the ball. It's a great hustle play to come up with it. My gut instinct is telling me absolutely could have been called a foul. And, I, you know, I'm not surprised by people freaking out that a foul wasn't called because there's an awful lot of contact. I was sitting right there in the broadcast table next to Mike Breen. And it came, it happened literally in front of us. But as you know, you've, you've sat in these situations too. When the table, you're on the other side of the table, you can't see what's happening in front of you in front of the table on the ground. So right, I right. was thinking the same exact thing. This is happening live. Mike is just, I mean, machine gun calling everything to perfection because that's what he does. And I'm waiting for that moment, you know, that brief moment the analyst has to say something concisely and then get out of the way. And I, I all I kept thinking in my head was, what the hell did I just see? I don't know. Like, I yeah. need to see it again because right. I can't make a fair – I can't say, oh, my God, that was a foul. How can I say that when I didn't see what happened? How do I know that DiVincenzo – it wasn't a loose ball because Thompson does fumble it. So he doesn't have control of his dribble, and DiVincenzo just does a Villanova, Jay Wright, dive on the floor for that loose ball like it's your last dime. And he gets it, and hustle plays are rewarded. So I'm wondering, Legs, if like if we're looking at it just from that lens – do you have as much as a problem with a play like that benefiting the aggressive player versus, let's say, two weeks ago when the Brunson foul, which is, you know, I mean, we're talking about a chuck and duck and you kind of bump them. You know, I can't stand when the touch foul is called. That that one bothers me more than when the aggressive foul isn't. Would you agree with that? I would 100% agree with that. I'd also agree the other one that drives me insane more than anything is when they all of a sudden you're watching a game for 40 minutes and there's eight minutes to go. And all of a sudden, for whatever reason, it almost seems like an official premeditated that on this next trip, if I see any action whatsoever involving a dribble handoff, I'm going to call an illegal screen. 
And you're going, <laughs> wait a second. I just watched 74 dribble handoffs up to this point with the exact same action. Right. And handoff and a little shoulder lean by the guy, you know, the big usually that's doing the, 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 the handing off. They'll do a little lean. Jokic is a master at it. Sabonis is great at it. Like some of these big, it's a big part of who they are. And I'm watching it. All night, nothing called, and it's lit because the whistle is so quick. Yeah. All of a sudden, all, all right, and you're just going. You must have been literally like waiting for that action to take place to call that. So, and then it just drives you nuts because of the inconsistency of it. I agree with what you just said. Now, here's what I would say: where I would have to differentiate it again. I still haven't seen a clean angle of this. It really, for me, is going to come down to this: if that ball is literally completely loose. And it, it, it's at a point where the offensive player that had the ball is not closer to the ball than DiVincenzo. Mm. Like, it's basically literally 50-50 type situation that we talk about all the time. If that's yeah. the case, I don't care as much that DiVincenzo went into his body to get the ball because that almost, to me, is incidental after the recovery of the ball on the part of DiVincenzo. But if, if that's sort of semi-controlled by Thompson or, like, he's closer to the ball and clearly has an advantage to grab it, and DiVincenzo just, like, dislodges it as he rolls into his body, to me, there are two different sets of circumstances there. And, again, I did not see a replay to indicate either one, but I hear your overreaching point, which is, the, the aggressor is going to get the benefit of the doubt a lot of times in that situation, and that's exactly what he did. Look, I don't think you can make a case that the Knicks didn't deserve to win the game, but I got news for you. They're the Pistons. The Pistons are not going to get the benefit of the doubt. They're just not. And the Knicks are a team that's relevant now, and they also have a reputation for playing harder consistently than their opponent almost every night. So they're going to get the benefit of the doubt on a play like that, whereas the Pistons won't. And I think that point you just made about the Knicks is why when you look at this Knicks team and you have a game like last night, because before the game, we get this all the time now. Oh, trap game, trap game, right? Eight-win team coming in, trap game. Yep, yep. And and I laughed because we, we talked about it pregame, and I said, I don't think these guys are built like this. And tra- we know that yep. exists. I mean, like you played in the league a long time. You know about those trap games. I mean, you could feel it in the locker room even before a game where you're like, oh, no. Like we're get, we're gonna lose tonight because we're not here, you know. They, they, like you just know, these games can happen in an NBA season, and I've covered enough games in the league, especially with some of the old Nick teams that I've said like they didn't even show up tonight, and I don't see that with this group, and I, I you want to start with the credit, of course, with Tom Thibodeau coaching and the mentality, but I've seen his teams in the last couple of years do that. I haven't seen it this year, and I want to say Brunson, Hart, DiVincenzo, Villanova, Jay Wright, this this dive-on-the-floor mentality, which is what last night's that late play, that emblematic play, like that sort of suggests to me that this type of team, and then I'll give you the record. Against teams with a losing record this season, the Knicks have the second-best record in the league. It's 23-2 yeah. and two now. 23-2. and two. 25 instances where you play a team with a losing record and you beat them most of the time. So they don't fall for that trap. Numbers you can throw out there, Alan. That's because that is, that speaks so much to taking care of business against who you're supposed to. And because there's going to be nights against teams like that, where you don't, you don't necessarily have an offense. You don't have a good shooting, whatever it may be. Right. But the one thing you're going to have is a state of readiness. 
And when you're in a state of readiness that you're supposed to be, and I, I will honestly, you, you mentioned different guys to give credit to for this. I'm going to put it on one guy. It's Brunson. Mm-hmm. Brunson, his approach is so consistent with how ready he is to play every night that it, it that is what permeates the entire roster. That sets the tone for the locker room. Like, because I've seen games, like, let's take another great player in the league, like Luca. And Luca's come a long way with some of his effort stuff that I just thought was so substandard. I thought at the beginning of the year this year that I was looking at maybe the worst defensive player in the league on some nights. And I'm going, it's just, it's, it's inexcusable because he's, okay, he's not super fleet of foot. Doesn't mean you can't be a great positional defensive player and you right. can use your strength. A lot of times he's not guarding guys on the perimeter with a live handle. He's guarding bigger guys. So you can use your strength to be a good defender. But you can't wave at guys when they when they put it down a straight line dribble drive. You just let them go and let it be somebody else's problem. You can't jog back and transition when that second pass gets made. It's where you should have been right. to contest that shot or to take away the shot. He's come a long way, but to much to this point, there are still nights when he kind of doesn't have it on that end. And I think it sets a tone for your team. And Brunson is never in that state of mind. He's always ready. He always comes out aggressive. He's always trying to like take the mantle and show everybody who the leader of this franchise is and everybody follows suit in that regard. So I think he's the key to it all. And as a result, you take care of the teams in front of you that you're supposed to, because you're going to have enough nights in this league that are 50, 50 propositions against the top 10 teams who knows on a given night, how that's going to go. But if you just take, just take care of all of those mediocre and bottom feeding teams if those are the teams you're supposed to beat you take care of it to that extent i think that's a great statistic on a very healthy environment and a professional environment of how you're going about your business all right with that in mind then tim legler what does that tell you about what the knicks can be this season as we anticipate in the next couple of weeks the team getting julius randall back and og ananobi back and maybe even before the playoffs uh whatever you can get out of mitchell robinson back Randall is the, is, the, is, the, is obviously a big, big key. And I didn't like what I heard the other day when they said he was, you know, he's still contemplating surgery. I found that to be odd when you've been out this long and, and rehabbing. And you would have thought they would have crossed that threshold by now where they're not going to. And it's coming along. Hey, maybe the physical therapy's taking longer than you thought, but we're, we're not going to have surgery as opposed to we're still thinking about it. I don't know, you know, to the extent that that's true or whatever, but that's what was reported. And I'm going, wow, that's, that's not a great sign. But let's just assume he comes back at some point and he stays back and he stays healthy. And they're obviously going to get Ananobi back at some point. You're hoping you're going to get Mitchell Robinson back at some point. I love the new pieces that they added. I think when it's all said and done, if that team is healthy and they have just even, even you know 12 to 15 games together going into the playoffs, that might end up being the biggest challenge to the Boston Celtics in the Eastern Conference if they get those things done. Milwaukee's taken some strides here recently, but it's, it's a small sample size for me to make a determination that like there's other issues I watched all year are like gone or limited to the extent that they're now going to make a run. And they're, it is Boston, Milwaukee again, like we thought at the beginning of the year. I'm still, I should probably don't give Cleveland enough respect, but I just still think there's an unknown with them Mm-hmm. offensively of how good they're going to be when they need to be. I, I believe in their defense. I'm still not hundred percent sure about what that offense is going to look like. And Donovan Mitchell in certain spots, like trying to do a little bit too much when he, in those moments when you're going to have to have him. So I'm still a little bit uncertain about the Cavs. 
Philly, obviously, without a beat, is a different story. The two teams I'm looking at right now in the East that are very interesting are the Knicks because of, of how much is still left for them to show. This time of the year, you kind of know who these teams are. I don't know who the Knicks are because of all these new pieces, and they haven't played together. I want to see them at full strength to see that depth. And then the Heat. The Heat are very interesting to me, man. They, yeah. they played a great game last night. They've won yeah. 8 out of 10, and six of those wins are against good teams. Like they, They're starting to do that thing they do this time mm-hmm. of year, and they did it last night with five guys missing, and they still beat the Kings, and they played a great, great game. The Heat are super interesting to me. i got one eye on them, and then I just think the Knicks, because they're still, I think, 30% more upside that we have to see and hopefully it all comes together for them. But they, they, to me, could be a team that could be a nightmare to have to play in a seven-game series for any of these teams. Yeah, I, I was saying that this morning uh, with some guys on, on SiriusXM is the Miami Heat are that team that whatever they do in the first half of the season, throw it out the window. It, it, anytime you're yep. like, well, he, they're, not, they're not good this year. Okay, tell me what they look like in March, and let's go from there. You know, that, that's the part, I think – that always comes up with that team. And I'm glad you brought up the Heat because that's the team that I would also say now all of a sudden they've moved into the top six. Like you see how they're just they're like, oh, don't pay attention to us. Don't worry about us. Don't worry about us. And then all of a sudden you'll be worried about them. That's the team in the first round. No, thank you. Don't want to see that team. Is Boston indomitable? Like, is that five just too good? Are they their biggest um, opponent when you consider, again, their, their issues in the playoffs in the past have always been more self-inflicted than anything else? Yeah, I think so. And look, you know, I'm still, you know, giving a large benefit of doubt in the West to Denver. And, you know, they're not only the defending champs, but like when they, when they execute and they play precise, like they're, they're just so good. But when I look at Boston starting five and I was, I was there, I was calling the game when they played the Knicks for ESPN radio and that third quarter, you know, that display they put on in the third quarter um, was just like, what are you supposed to do with this? Like, because, (laughs) You've got you've got, okay, so you've got these two elite wings that can break down anybody in front of them. Like they can win any matchup with a live dribble and just get where they want to, whether that's step back three, mid range, or they can get all the way to the roof. So they, they win those matchups with these two long wings that just come at you, come at you, come at you. And now let's go out and let's get a backcourt pairing that is one of the best defensive backcourt pairings in the league with White and Holiday. Both of those guys can space out and shoot threes. Both of those guys can run ball screen and get into the paint. Both of those guys can like run a team if they want to get organized and, and run something. And then they go out and they add a guy at the, the middle position that they have not had because they've had, they've had Robert Williams, who was a lob threat and offensive glass threat only. Then they had Al Horford, who 95% of the time is towing it up right at the three-point line at 24 feet and just standing and waiting. Well, let's just go get this other dude now, the 7-3, that can shoot the ball to a further range than Horford more consistently. You can also run your offense through him. He's got the highest points per possession in the post in the NBA. So he posts up selectively, but when he does it, he wins that matchup every time. And, by the way, you didn't give up anything on the defensive end of the floor because he's every bit as effective as Robert Williams is. I mean, this is what they just did. You look at their starting five, they got five both end-of-the-floor players. And all these guys fit together. And when they don't chase early threes, Alan, and help teams guard them, because that's the one vulnerability they have. They shoot a lot of threes. I get it. They got a bunch of dudes that can shoot it. I get that. But when you start haunting them that easily, that quickly with any daylight, and you haven't done anything to the defense to make them guard you for a pass or two or cut off one dribble penetration to get in, 
where they're going to get an easy shot. That's what he did in the third quarter. All those shots were off of action. Dribble drive, kick, dribble drive, kick, one more swing, mm-hmm. wide open. And now you've got this high-level, stable three-point shooting. It's impossible to catch up to the ball. When they play that way, yes, that's a team right there. I say that's going to be, that team's going to win an NBA title because the versatility of those five players and the way that they play together, no one in this league can match it, not even Denver's starting five. Um, I just look at Denver as saying, well, then why would I say Boston's not guaranteed to win a championship? Because I look at a guy like Jokic and I go, he's just so unique in what he does to control the game. They've got, there's only one in the league and Denver has that. So I'm still giving them a, a big benefit of the doubt in the West. But Boston, yeah, there are nights you look at that and say, yeah, let's just get the parade route going because I don't know how you're supposed to deal with five players that are that versatile in your, in your, in your starting lineup. And you look at but the Porzingis, uh, to me, not, that, that is such an addition to what they Man. are because of the fact yeah. that everything you said, the post stuff, the rim protection stuff, and then the fact that when you do do the kickout thing with him, He's not a toe-the-line big man. He is a I-can-take-a-30-footer. And right. you try to close out on him, he's 7'3", with a high release. Like, you're not, like you're not right. affecting his shot either. So there's so much to that that makes it scary um, that, that they just look like they're almost they're impossible to guard. And even when you do matchups, like you said, you know, can the Knicks give them a series if they ever did get to meet? Like, for me, I look at it like this. Again, New York perspective. For the Knicks, the ceiling is like, conference finals, give me a good series with the Celtics, and you go into the offseason saying, all right, now your focus is how do we build a roster that can beat them? But you you first want to get in the room. And I don't think you get in the room if you don't get to the conference finals. So can they get in the room? That's it. And then how do you you then build a team to beat them? You got to find how do you match up with Porzingis? Because I think at health with OG – uh, with DiVincenzo, with Hart, and guys like that, I think you can handle the Tatums and the Browns. And Brunson gives, you know, keeps obviously Drew Holiday busy, but it's the Porzingis part of it. I think is the one you just don't have the matchup for that, and you have to find. Totally it. agree with you, and and particularly the Knicks, like their bigs are in great. And let's assume Mitchell Robinson comes back. You got you know him and Hartenstein. You you they're so ingrained to run back to the paint to the rim, right? Drop coverage. On dribble penetration, right? Yeah. To protect. They want to protect. That's just their natural instincts. Yeah. That's really hard to do with Porzingis on the court. It's just, it's, it's, you know, you're talking about, and people got to understand the subtle difference between a guy standing at 24 feet and a guy mm-hmm. standing at 28 to 30 feet. Right. And, and, and on top of the fact, he's 7'3", but just from a spacing standpoint of where he is, that extra six feet, five, six feet that you've got to get out there, you're just not getting there. You're not getting there. It's too far to help and then recover out to that. So it's just what they represent. And when they're, when they're sharing the ball the way that they, the way that they can, and they're willing, like the other night, I thought you know, Tatum played a very understated game against the Knicks offensively. He wasn't like dominating the ball and he was willing to accept that on that night. It was more about Brown that night. Brown was the more mm-hmm. aggressive player. He was the guy that got into a rhythm early and kind of stayed with that. So, so Tatum wasn't going to force the issue where, like, they played, you know, I've always thought their skill set sometimes is independent of each other, and I don't know that that's the best thing. That it's just almost like that my turn, your turn mentality sometimes with them. When The other night against the Knicks, when they got rolling in the third quarter, it didn't look like that at all. It looked mm. like a team that was just carving you up yeah. by making the right read, making the extra pass, and getting it to a guy that's a really high percentage shooter. And I think he would have eight, made eight threes in that quarter, eight or nine threes in that quarter. 
Um, and that's what they're capable of doing by hitting you with a barrage of it. But when they get good ones, that's when they're unbeatable. And they don't always. They sometimes take the quick early one that's a little bit of daylight with a hand up, and, and it's like you just bailed out of defense by not making them guard you a little mm-hmm. bit down here. So it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see. Can anybody really convince us in the Eastern Conference that they can close that gap? I think the Knicks might have the best chance of doing that, but you've got to get everybody out there, and you've got to let me see what that depth looks like, the rotation, and then schematically what it would look like against Boston. I think they'll play them one more time there, right, the last yes. game of the year. I just, right. I was, right? So there's a very good chance that game is not going to mean anything, mm-hmm. and no one plays. Mm-hmm. So maybe we won't see it against Boston specifically, but you'll get a better idea based on what the Knicks look like between now and then against other people, what the rotation looks like and the options that Tibbs will have at his disposal. So it's fascinating to see what the Knicks are going to become because I, I just, I'm so impressed with their approach. Now it's, do you have enough offensive punch? They went out and got it. Now can we just get all these guys on the court together and see what it looks like? Then that sounds like the story of the NBA for so many teams. Can we just get this group together and see what it can look like? The one team that yeah, has been I feel able like to do I that. I say that every day. Yeah. 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 But it's the Celtics are the one team that has been able to do that, and we are able to see uh, what it can look like, and what it can look like is pretty scary in the East. Legs, thanks so much. Always appreciate you coming on. Always good to talk to you, my man. Love coming on now. Talk to you soon. All right, you got it. All right, Tim Legler. Get him on the All-NBA podcast, by the way. All-City Network is where you can find it. Spotify, Apple, all those different places you can find it. Legs, one of the best. You just heard. One of the best on talking the NBA. All right, 800-919-3776 to talk with you. Coming up, we'll get to your calls. And also, you'll hear from Joe Shane. Spoke this morning about Saquon Barkley, Daniel Jones, and more. You got to hear what he had to say about his running back's future. Stay with us. Barton Hahn, 98.7 ESPN. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, doesn't want to start their day with a fresh hot waffle tonight la quinta tomorrow you shine book direct at lq.com this podcast is proud to be supported by jets pizza the number one pick in detroit style pizza why it's simple jets is better with the thickest crispiest cheesiest detroit style pizza in the country there's no competition right now get five dollars off any eight corner pizza with code eight save that's the number eight s-a-v-e Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Thanks for listening to the Barton Han Show podcast. Listen live weekdays at noon on 98.7 ESPN. That was great stuff from Tim Legler. 
And you heard what he said about the Knicks. He's very high on them. Obviously, getting healthy is the most important part of it. And they are hoping to get Julius Randle and OG Ananobi back over the next couple of weeks. I've seen reports now uh, of even that anticipating, you know, two more weeks or so for, for both of these guys, which would, for the Knicks, if you think about where they are schedule-wise, and we begin March, believe it or not, at the end of the at the end of the week, which is, isn't it amazing we're already in March? Like, just like that. I mean, put on a TV during the day, it's spring training baseball already. And so that's when you know, okay, so the playoffs aren't too far away. March Madness is coming, and the NCAA tournament comes around, and you know when the NCAA tournament is over, and then we get ready for the real deal, which is, of course, the NBA playoff season. And so with 24, I think, games are now left for the next season, uh, they are getting closer and closer. They're 15 wins away from getting 50. Can they go 15-9? and nine? I get them the 50 win, a 50-win season. It'd be pretty damn impressive. They haven't had one of those in a decade. Um, so as I said, so if if you are saying that Randall and Ananobi are, are, let's say, two weeks or two to three weeks away, you're looking at, you know, they've got a pair of games. It's a home series with the Sixers. Uh, March 10th is a Sunday. That's two weeks. And um, then they play that Tuesday also against the Sixers. Then they leave for a four-game West Coast trip. And so I'm going to say that that's the range I'm thinking. I would look at that. Do you, do they start out on the road? And was, does Randall or Ananobi, which one? I don't know if they come back together or, or you know one after the other. But is that the area that you're looking at? You're talking about that's about the 15 games remaining mark. So for the Knicks, it's still going to be another nine games, ten games or so uh, before you can get to that full strength. Can they get through it and stay in the top four, most importantly, and then make a push late and see if they can? Because right now they're you know what three out of second, two out of uh, third, and you want to be in the two three bracket because as you heard Legs talking about. If you want to face the Celtics, you want to face them as late as possible, conference finals, and see how healthy you could be by then, and maybe they're a little banged up. And, of course, conference finals, what an accomplishment uh, that certainly would be. All right, in the meantime, as we are talking NBA regular season, and that's starting to really heat up and get down the stretch, the NFL offseason now underway as the combine is going on right now in Indianapolis. And, all the reporters are there and reporters are there because the GMs are there and the scouts are there and everybody's there and they're all talking and setting up for, you know, free agency and then, of course, leading into uh, the draft. J- um, Joe Douglas, the Jets GM, is going to speak tomorrow. What I want to know from you at 800-919-3776 is what do you need to hear from Joe Douglas? And I've always said, people have always said, oh, he doesn't talk to the media. He needs to talk to the media. Okay, well, he's going to talk to the media. What do you want to hear from Joe Douglas? That's what I'd love to hear from you. So call in and let me know if you're a Jets fan. I need to hear Joe Douglas tell me this. Talk to me about this. Now, be reasonable because he's not going to tell you what he plans on doing because a lot of things you have to keep secret. You know, who am I going to draft? He's not doing that. But he, you know, what you want him to address, I think, is important. The obvious is that the offensive line is a priority. Like, and Tomlinson is no longer there. I mean, you've got, what, three core pieces at this point? I mean, essentially, it's Tipman, Vera Tucker, and um, and what, Carter Warren? Who else you got? Everybody else seems expendable at this point. You know, what, what else are you going to do, and how are you going to do it? 
is is Mekhi Becton part of the future, or are you moving on from him as well? Are you drafting another offensive lineman, and you're going to stay very young there, and then go after a, a free a big name free agent? Can you do that? So a lot of stuff there. So the offensive line is a priority. On the Giants side of things, Joe Shane did speak with the media this morning. Now, a lot of what the Giants in their offseason is going to involve is the future of Saquon Barkley, much like last year. But this certainly continues to be a big story. And so for Saquon Barkley and the Giants, it is a matter now of getting back into the process of figuring out if they can come up with an agreement and whether or not it works for both sides. We have you know Saquon Barkley, which we're going to talk to his representatives this week, there, there's nothing new on that front. You know, the conversation, the plan all along was to meet here in Indy and have those discussions about, you know, how we're going to move forward with him. He's a guy we'd like to have back. So those conversations will take this week and will you know, take place this week and we'll see if we can get something done. Like to have him back, right? How we're going to move forward with him. And then, of course, there is the value because in the end, the business is what matters. Of course, you'd like to have him back. He's a great guy, and he's a talent. But do you value the running back position in a way that you are willing to pay whatever Saquon Barkley's value is for his talent, and has that value changed? I would say his value has changed, especially the organization. Like He's a captain. He's a leader. He's a hard worker. I, I think the world of, of Saquon, and I still think he can play. So my value for Saquon really hasn't changed. Unfortunately, throughout the process, starting back in November of 2022, we weren't able to come to an agreement in terms of where we both thought a deal made sense. So we'll circle back again. He has a new agent, Ed Berry, who we have a really good relationship w- with, with CAA. Really good guy and does a great job. So look forward to sitting down and having conversations with him. I think we've all grown, Saquon, myself, the organization, through the last 12, 13, 14 months. And Saquon may be in a different place now than he was then in terms of understanding the market and the business side of it. And I'm looking forward to having those conversations with him. It's interesting, too, because the value part of it also comes from Saquon Barkley's side of this. Let's not forget. How much does Saquon Barkley value being a giant? Well, clearly he valued it last year, but he didn't hold out into training camp. Other running backs did. He didn't. He just took the simple offer, one year. Just took the offer, came in, done. I don't want to upset the apple cart. I don't want to miss time. I just want to play. And he wants to be a giant. So uh, maybe the Giants are also kind of playing it that way as well. Is do you value being here? Because this is the number that we have for this position. And it's going to go to you or someone else. So this is the number. Are you willing to play for this number so you can stay here with us? You know, you could tell I love the player, I love his talent, but I don't pay that much for that position. Maybe another organization would. Bart has pointed out the Houston Texans would be a great fit for Saquon Barkley. Jordan Renan was on with us earlier in the show. Jordan said at the NFL Combine, he said he has heard already Texans and whispers about their interest in Saquon Barkley. Can he get a better offer there and just decide, you know what, I'm going to move to Houston. I'm going to go play there. Good young, talented quarterback. It's a great place to play, indoor facility, all that stuff, a good division you could play in that you wouldn't have to have as much competition as you have in the NFC East. You know, like what? what is that something that he would want? Or is he value playing for the Giants and maybe not have, not you know breaking the bank, which is what the Giants clearly don't want to do. And what Jordan Brown also said to, to me was that the franchise tag thing isn't a real thing. Like as much as it is the easy way out, it's about $12 million now with the new salary cap. Everything has gone up, which includes, of course, what his value would be um, when it comes to the franchise tag. 
And so while the cap going up gives you a surplus and it shouldn't hurt as much, it's still a price that you might not want to pay. And so while Renan thinks it's still a long shot that the Giants would go franchise tag with Barkley, Joe Shane said it is still on the table. I think the new number, if we were going to franchise somebody for the first time at that position, is like 11-9, and his number's not much more than that. So the salary cap changes your philosophy and how you're going to attack things. So that's not off the table. And again, like we don't want to do that. Like I, In a perfect world, we don't want to do that again. But again, yeah, we're going to have conversations. We're going to talk through it and see what his, you know, I know he says he wants a fair deal, and I appreciate that. And, you know, ultimately we, we got to do what's best for the franchise, you know, short-term and long-term, and we'll take all those things into account. But look forward to meet with his representatives it's gonna be an interesting process obviously you know if you're a Giants fan you love them and it's hard to let go of certain players but at at a point you just wonder you know this is not what we're willing to pay at that that position you know for Brian Dable and his offense that's not what they do I I I have said this they got to prioritize wide receiver they have to they've got to figure out quarterback and that's going to be a huge story this offseason as well it was something that quick that Joe Shane did touch on, but interesting the way he touched on it about how this is a quarterback draft. They have the number six pick. They have a couple of seconds as well. There are some good quarterbacks. Yeah, it's a good quarterback draft. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not just at the top. There's some guys that are mid levels that I think will be good number twos. There's some guys that you know can be number threes in the draft. So yeah, I mean I think it's uh, it's a solid draft all over. Solid draft all over. Can you get value though at six? Can you get somebody that you could piece in as your starting quarterback at number? Six, Tim Hasselbeck believes the Giants should take a look at Drake May. Daniel Jones hasn't been healthy, so whatever you think of him as a player, fine, but he's not available. It's a little bit like the Jimmy Garoppolo situation with Daniel Jones where you say, look, if you keep getting injured, we, like, we got to make a move anyway. So there's that factor. And then you bring in the Brian Dayball factor, which is, look, the seat's going to be pretty hot. And so the best way to kind of save your job, keep your job if you're a head coach, to have a young quarterback that's trending in the right direction as a player. So getting your hands on a really good prospect, which I certainly think Drake May is, and if he ends up being the guy that's available at three because people think otherwise in terms of the other two prospects, I think it just makes complete sense, and you've got to be ready to get all the way up there to make it happen. And that's, again, the moving and shaking that a guy like Joe Shane's got to do. Like, you've got to be able to be ready to agile enough to make that move on, a, you know, the day before the draft or so that you know, okay, well, this is how the first couple of picks are going to go, which leaves me that I might have to move up to get my guy. And then that's your guy now. Like, every, you know, every GM, you know, when you don't have the quarterback, you draft your quarterback, and that's your guy. You know, look at Ryan Poles right now in Chicago. That's not his guy. Justin Fields now, he's already said, I'm going to do right by him. But, you know, it sounds like they're already making preparations that they will make that number one pick. It'll probably be Caleb Williams. And they will be trading Justin Fields. Which, by the way, if you have the Giants, is is that even worth a minute? Like, is that another option that you can consider? Now, let's just, you know, again, on the quarterback hole situation, immediately right now, or immediately, I should say, immediately right now is redundant immediately for the Giants, they still have Daniel Jones. And they will probably, for the full for the coming year, have him as their starting quarterback because they have to, based on what he's being paid. But it doesn't mean he has to start. If you get the quarterback you want in the draft and you like what you see in training camp, you just make Daniel Jones the backup. A very expensive one, but that doesn't matter. I don't apologize for that. Who cares? I mean, that's just what it is. I got my guy. I like the way he looks. He fits in my system. We're going to go with him right away. 
and I'm going to pay Daniel Jones a lot of money to be a steady backup that just in case it doesn't work out, I can fall back on him short term. But Daniel Jones is expected to be ready for training camp after having a, a couple of injuries last year, which include, of course, knee surgery. He actually started throwing. He's been throwing for about two weeks stationary now. He's not dropping back or doing any of that stuff. So he is on track. He's doing everything he can to get back. We're optimistic about where he is. And there's some talk in the spring that he may be able to go through, whether it's seven-on-seven seven or individual, throwing routes on air, that he'll be able to do some of that stuff. We probably won't expose him to team activities, but every patient responds differently to surgery. So, you know, knock on wood, we haven't had any setbacks. He hasn't had any setbacks. And if he continues on that pace, he, he should be ready for the start of training camp. I have faith in Daniels, our starting quarterback. Yeah, he's I'm faith in him. He's a starting quarterback, and all that is for now. Just add that little caveat at the end for now. All right, eight hundred now one nine three seven seven six. We'll finish up with some calls and also uh, the latest, by the way, injury report for today uh, that has been released for tonight's games. There's a name on it for the Knicks that you do not want to hear if you're a Knicks fan. I will let you know that coming up next. Stay with us. Thanks for listening to the Barton Han Show podcast. Listen live weekdays at noon on 98.7 ESPN. Zion is on the injured list tonight uh, going into this, this this afternoon, the latest one that was put out this afternoon. Uh, questionable with left foot contusion. CJ McCollum left ankle sprain. Has a, is also listed as questionable. Now, this is the first of a back-to-back for the Pelicans. They play tomorrow night in Indianapolis. They play the Pacers on ESPN, nationally televised game. So back-to-backs for a lot of teams this late into the season, you start to pick, you know, which is the game you want to play in or what you want to have your guys in or any of that stuff. Um, Zion loves playing at the Garden. I think we have, we're well-documented. I think we have that, we've played that drop a million times. And... I do, I'd be shocked if he doesn't play tonight. Listed as questionable because there's something bothering him, but you, you know, a lot of times the player will play. So those are two things to keep an eye on for tonight. C.J. McCollum, two key players for them, and Zion Williamson. For the Knicks, it's the usuals. You know, Julius Randle, O.G. Ananobi, uh, Mitchell Robinson, all are out. Um, two players, though, are added as questionable. One, Isaiah Hartenstein. This one doesn't surprise me. Because Hartenstein, as you know, has been dealing with this uh, Achilles, they call it a tendinopathy. It's not like what Aaron Rodgers did. This is, it's the bottom of the Achilles. It's like a little bit of tendonitis pain. And it's managed, you have to rest is the only way to manage it. And they're just trying to ramp up his minutes little by little. So you don't want overuse. It's an overuse injury. So back-to-back game, and he played last night, it wouldn't surprise me if Hartenstein was either not available or extremely limited in his availability for the game tonight. So he's questionable. So that's one that's understandable. But then this name appears, and that this is the one that makes you go, oh, no. And it is Jalen Brunson. Jalen Brunson right now is listed as questionable. Why? Uh, cervical spasms in his neck. Now, you remember, he ran into – there was twice in the game last night where after taking contact on an N1, he twice got hit a second time on those drives. And I think both times it was like Jalen Durno, he got hit hard in the head. And so who's to say that, again, you play a game, your, your blood is flowing and your adrenaline's flowing, you wake up in the morning and now you got a stiff neck. And now you're just like, you know, can't turn my neck this way, whatever it is. Massage therapy all day long, I'm sure. Put a heat on it, whatever they can do. 
And you know Jalen Brunson is a gamer. So if he can play, he's going to play. But right now, listed as questionable to see how he'll feel probably in warm-ups. See if he can get himself loose and feel good enough to go. Because the Pelicans are a tough, physical, long defensive team. Herb Jones is a great defender. They'll probably put him on him. So it's going to be another tough night at the office. And Jalen's going to have to carry the offense as he has to do right now when there's not a lot of offensive options available for this team. And on a back-to-back with another game Thursday, another national game, by the way, coming up Thursday uh, against Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors, like for Jalen Brunson, this is, you know, I mean, these are these these are exhausting games. So keep an eye on the Brunson injury list situation. It's questionable right now, and they're calling it cervical spasms in his neck, which, as I mentioned, it it's probably from getting hit a couple of times last night, and they'll have to work that out. But this is the the game we're going to be playing now each night going into these games because he's got to play a ton of minutes. He played under 40 last night, but it's still a lot because not only is he playing 38, 39 minutes, he's carrying this offense. Another 30-plus point performance for Brunson, 12 assists as well. Had to do everything last night just to steal a win over the Pistons. Can they get another one against the Pelicans? I get to be on the call with Mike Breen again tonight on MSG Networks. I do hope you will listen and watch along with me and stay to listen to the K-Show next. I'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Barton Han Show podcast. Listen live weekdays at noon on 98.7 ESPN.